Box Podcast. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Black History Mini Docs Podcast. I am Janae Lowe, your guest host for this episode, and you can catch all of Black History Mini Docs Podcast episodes at Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, most of your podcast networks, and of course, our BHMD website. I'm happy to welcome our guest today, Julius Tillery. He holds many titles uh, that I'll be naming in a moment, but he's a fifth generation farmer from North Carolina and the founder of Black Cotton, which received a 2022 William C. Friday Award for its role in advocating for and promoting Black agriculture farmers, and cotton growers. He is the North Carolina State Coordinator for the Black Family Land Trust and serves on the North Carolina Forestry Advisory Council and Southern Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Administrative Council. On top of all of this, he also holds a degree in economics with a minor in entrepreneurship from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And from what I've heard, he somehow finds time to help his neighbors with new enterprise development. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest today. So, Julius, (laughs) before we dive into all of your great accomplishments, all the things that you're uh, clearly outstanding things that you're doing for the Black community, for your neighborhood, for North Carolina, um, I want to ask a question that I think many busy people have problems with, and that is... How do you find time for yourself? What brings you peace when you just need a moment to decompress? (laughs) Well, I'm a sports fan. I love keeping up with what the athletes are doing. Uh, uh, Multi-level, I'm in professional, college, and uh, even high school. My my little cousin lives across the street from me. He's an all-state football player, so I keep up with him. And uh, another one, our cousins live down the road a little further. They both went all-state, so I'm really active with them as young guys trying to pursue their career. So I like sports. Um, I like playing poker online, you know, just simple things. (laughs) And I'm curious, you said you like playing poker online. How is that with being on the farm? with internet connection and yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? My internet is terrible at my farm and I'm at the farm right now. So I hope we don't have too big of problems. But uh, typically when I come home from uh, my office, I usually just eat, sleep, get up in the morning and then either go to working on wherever I'm at or go to the farm, but uh, go to my office. But I typically don't do a lot of hanging out or, you know, socializing around my, my farm. I use it like, around home at my farm. So when I come inside, I'm usually going to sleep or uh, cooking something, then cleaning up and going to sleep. So I'm not really a big socializer in my home. Okay. Okay. Well, it's good to know. I think people are always wondering how someone who has all of these moving parts going on is able to decompress from it. So good to know mm-hmm. you're you're one of us. You're nor- you're normal. Yeah, I <laughs> normal. go to Twitter. I go to uh IG, keep up with the TikToks and everything. Okay. <laughs> Social media. Are you uh, on TikTok? Do you TikTok? I don't TikTok. Okay. Um, I'm not I'm not that cool yet. Okay, um, me either. I get it. You know, I've had a lot of success with social media, but uh, most much of my success with social media has been from me posting other people posts, like you know, okay. stuff with, like with my business. You know, people yeah. post uh, something and I'll repost. So uh, I've been, you know, I use social media, but I'm not really good at it. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. I get that. When I learned that you were a fifth generation farmer, um, I saw the photo of you, your grandfather and your father on your website. Mm-hmm. And to me, that photo, I felt like a visceral uh, respect between you all. And I wonder for you, mm-hmm. how was that experience growing up with these men who passed down this tradition to you of farming and of taking care of the land? Well, uh, part of it is some of we don't, we take it a little bit for granted, you know, that um, the whole farming aspect is more like a chore. And a lot of times, like when I grew up with it, it was more like a chore, like wash dishes, cut grass, work on the farm. Okay. It wasn't like I, I looked at it, some freedom seeking, uh, mission driven type thing, but this yeah. is just a responsibility that we have for having a farm and okay. being in a rural area. And a lot of people do this type of work. So it's just our business that we have to handle. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that means to me, great, great grandfather, great grandfather, grandfather, father than you. Yeah, that's it. How, okay. How was that? Can you tell me a bit about how farming was passed down from generation to generation? Mm-hmm. Well, um, my family's from Halifax, North, North uh, Halifax and Northampton County. So, mm-hmm. uh, in Halifax County, North Carolina, northeastern part of the state, um, there's a town called Tillery, North Carolina. Uh, my family descended from the Tillery Plantation. Most Tillerys, mm-hmm. Black folks with the last name Tillery, are descendants from Tillery Plantation. Okay. And um, my great great grandfather, he was born in 1871, so he was the first person in our family born free from slavery. So, um, you know, and he became a, a, a preacher. His name okay. was Reverend D.L. Tillery. And, and, you know, from preaching, that's how he, you know, got the money to buy his first plot, first plot of land. Amazing. OK, so I'm assuming there was some pressure to follow in the footsteps of your father um, or of your family to stay in that because you went to school for economics and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong. Was there pressure to uh, stick with this as the business and carry on your family's tradition? Or had you considered jumping out and doing something else? Actually, it was absolutely no pressure to be a farmer. Um, you know, uh, my grandfather, he didn't he didn't really believe farming was for me. Um my dad, you know, he don't, he never really pressed it upon me. It's besides doing, being the res, handling the responsibility of, you know, helping him get the job done. But uh, it was no expectation of me being a farmer. Um, you know, when you're when you're a, a, a young student growing up in, in grade school and you're making straight A's, no one says, "Yo, you're gonna be a great farmer." That's something I never heard. Even to, you know, I didn't hear that. I don't. I don't even know if I've ever heard someone say you're going to be a great farmer until I created this business. But yeah, uh, yeah. that was something that you don't hear that somebody say, "Yo, yeah, you're going to be a farmer. You're going to be a good farmer, just like your dad and granddad." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's more of a just handling the you know the business of our family. So okay. I just wanted to do that because you know when your family has something, and I, I worked in agriculture and you know the nonprofit scene and mm-hmm. industry scene, helping a lot of people you know with their farms. I understand how important it is to have a farmland because so many people lose their farmland. I see how important it is to them. So I just wanted to do something to make sure that we can keep our family farm sustainable because um, farming in general, conventional farming is very tough. The margins are thin. Uh, it's hard labor. It's hard to find labor. Everything's high. 
I mean, it's just it's hard work. It takes a lot of you know intelligence and uh, work ethic to be able to get it done. And this is not something yeah. you could just push a pen and, and paper to or type on a keyboard and make it happen. You have to really be out there to get it done. I know that cotton was extremely valuable to the economy in the Deep South specifically um, and to America as a whole. Uh, and that has a lot to do with slavery, um, of course. And within the cultivation of cotton, specifically during slavery, and then I want to say for at least 100 years um, afterwards, free Black people were still kind of cultivating cotton. Um, I don't know. Is cultivate the right word? For cotton, am I saying it right? Cultivating, producing, okay. all of yeah. We know okay. we're talking. You know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, so my question is: I know that a lot of black farmers stepped away from uh, cultivating cotton specifically, and there's a connotation to cotton. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that connotation and black cotton, your business as well? Well, I don't think. People got out of farm, uh, farming cotton because of the connotation. I think most people got out of it because the the margins were so thin in making money. It's not a lot of money in it. You know what okay. I mean? Like, in regards to the creative process around cotton, I, I never really seen black folks be creative with cotton. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I kind of fell into that lane. So okay. uh, in regards to conventional cotton farming, it's just the prices are so low and the money. So and, you know, for the work you put into it, People didn't like doing that type of work. It's, and then those areas where cotton exists, there's not a lot of opportunities of doing other things. So a lot of people migrated to places where there are more opportunities. I don't okay. think people said, oh, I don't I didn't like that. My great grandparents were slaves, so I don't yeah. want to raise cotton no more. That's that's not reality. No. You know what I mean? Right. And, and see, what I try to do with black cotton is, is expose people to the realities. Like we can't keep some if we keep playing our playing in our minds the tropes that that really ain't, ain't important. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I, I get the history and history is very important, but we, we can't forget the present, mm-hmm. you know, the presence. Cause that's the gift. Like, where are we now to go where we want to go? We have to, you know, have some type of expectations and understand of where we at and how we got there. And Absolutely. if we think that the standard of what farmers are going through right now was developed through just slavery, you're forgetting hundreds of you. You're forgetting over a hundred years of history. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a lot of things that happen. Like when I say I'm a fifth generation farmer, I don't know how many generations Tilleries go back or my bloodline go back, you know, but five generations of people were farming, you know, before me after slavery, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of time in between that. So that's a lot of history that we got to give respect to, to get us to this moment where we're here right now to make the most of this moment. Mm. Well said. Uh, I, I'm curious for you, what do you think, I, I guess, are the major shifts in cotton farming from where it started to now? So what are the technological advances that shifted from, uh, and resources, I guess, as well, that have, yeah. pro- that have changed the course of you being able to be creative with cotton farming, for instance? Well, <clears throat> the number one thing that shook up the cotton industry in, in modern cotton farming was the combine, cotton picking. You know, people picked cotton until the 80s, 1980s, okay. which weren't that long ago. Like our, our parents' generation picked cotton until those combines came around and it wasn't that much money to be made in picking cotton. 
because there's even this concept of scrapping where people will come behind the cotton combines, you know, after the combines picked it, there's still some cotton left in the fields and they will pick that cotton and sell that. But it's not that much money. And it's, you know, it's so little cotton left that, you know, it it is not economic feasible for people even scrap cotton no more. That's the terminology of people that from the 80s and 70s may know of scrapping cotton. You know what I mean? Okay. That's after the combines come through. But the combines change. That's why black folks ain't in cotton no more. It's because combines pick cotton. You know, people won't make the pick cotton. What is the combine? The the cotton picker. It's like the tractor. Oh, okay. The combines, the tractor that comes and pick the cotton. You know what I mean? Okay. Like we have a two row combine, but you you got ten row combines now. I mean, it's big okay. stuff out here. Wow, ten rows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. It, I mean, literally, people spend a million dollars on a combine to pick cotton. This okay. equipment is expensive. So when you talk about modern farmers right now, what separated black farmers from white farmers, probably like in the seventies and the eighties, is the access to credit they had to be able to get equipment like combines, okay. you know, black folks. And like, that's what started the whole black farmer lawsuit is black farmers were not able to get operating loans to be able to, to, um, to keep up and comp- be competitive on uh, in their farming enterprises against their white counterparts, you know? So, so white farmers just had easier access to credit than black farmers. And, 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 you know, the USDA treated the black farms completely different. And that's what really separated us and scale started the separation. Because at one time, you know, when white farms and black farms using the same equipment, had the same type of labor forces, black farmers was doing about what white farmers were doing. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? White farmers would have more land. I mean, mm-hmm. they always had more access to more land. But mm-hmm. they even got m- even more land when when black people start getting out of the business because they couldn't compete com- com- compete with the equipment difference. Mm, okay, what do you think sustained your family in particular? Honestly, farm families like myself that still surviving is sacrifice. You mm. know, people who put um. It's not keeping up with the Joneses. Don't worry about having nice barns or nice yeah. tractors or nice equipment compared to their white um, counterparts. Okay. Or they st- still stayed around and took part-time jobs or even another full-time job to be able to afford, to be able to farm, to keep their wow. farms. Once once a family member moves out of state or you know, a few family members move out of state and daddy die, they ain't moving back home to farm and then their farm is gone. You know what I mean? That's just a true yeah. story. Yeah. I don't like I don't like to get into the stories about land being stolen because for every farm that's being stolen, there's another farm just being sold because some people didn't want to make the sacrifice. And sometimes the sacrifice yeah. ain't for them. You know what I mean? But yeah. I just like to tell the truth about the story. Cause the reality of why my farm, my family is still farmers because my granddaddy and my dad made the sacrifice to hold on instead of selling out. Wow. That, that's just yeah. the truth. That, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I was thinking in the back of my head because I think I told you I have family in North Carolina and my dad is from North Carolina area. Which um, part? Wil- just outside of Wilmington. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. We usually we would go stay in Myrtle Beach just to mm-hmm. have a family vacation and then go visit our family in North Carolina, hang out on my grandparents' farm. Um and or great grandparents farm. <laughs> and um yeah, it's interesting to think about how once they passed, 
there's still some family there and around that area. But like my grandmother, she lives in Canton, Ohio. So she's not back there by the farm. And, you know, the land is just kind of there. I don't know what's going to happen to it eventually. Um, But I know my dad would love to go back and and farm, but my mom is very much so a city person. So (laughs) that's the the dilemma. And I always think about that land. I'm like, shoot, I should just go (laughs) make it happen. (laughs) Let me tell you, if you made that sacrifice and decided to, you know, to do that, all my hats is off to you. But um, I can't give you credit for something you shouldn't be willing to do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone to downgrade their lifestyle because, you know, you, when you move to a poor area that has farmland uh, to uh, to hold on tradition, it comes with sacrifice. That's what I said. Sacrifice yeah. is so important to a family farm. Someone has to make the sacrifice to, to be able to take care of what they land. If not, somebody else will. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. just that's just how life goes sometimes. We got we to pick and choose what we're going to do with life. And I, I'm choosing to, you know, try to hold on to this family and do something with it as long as I can. You know what I mean? That means something to me. Yeah. Um, a question about the pandemic. So mm-hmm. during the pandemic, I know that cotton toilet paper, cotton tissue, cotton was a hot commodity um, and something that obviously we were low on resources with. Mm-hmm. Um, as an entrepreneur and, and a cotton farmer, uh, did it did that situation get your wheels turning and or spinning and and what did that mean to you during the pandemic hmm. well i would say uh most people who had their own like business business they seen more attention through the pandemic and you know george especially black business after george floyd died it was so much attention to black businesses and how we can support our black community that if your business didn't take off any a little bit you missed out on a great opportunity. You know what I mean? There's people at home that was finally paying attention to everything that wasn't mainstream inside of the, you know, the rat race world that we live in. So uh, it was an opportunity for people to get themselves out there. And, you know, we, we, we built up, um, picked up a lot of followers and a lot of supporters all across the country at, during that time. So while I, I wasn't a big fan of the pandemic and things shutting down, it was, it was great for our business in many ways. Okay. Um, and so I, I want to ask about the William C. Friday Award that you just won for Black Cotton. Um, mm-hmm. It must feel nice to be uh, acknowledged for all the work that you're doing and the work you've put in over the years. What mm-hmm. drives you at this point? Well, I, I, in so many ways, we got new developments that's coming up. So, you know, I want to, you know, put our farm in a place that I think that my children, my cousin's children can be able to handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the only way we can get there is through ownership and creative uh, partnerships that can really be sustainable for us. You know, I don't think the traditional conventional way is is, is long term sustainable for us because a lot of conventional agriculture is built for get big or get out. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that a black farmer can't go through the USDA and get a loan, but it's going to be harder to get. It's going to be more criticized. It's going to be uh, watched more carefully and you don't know who's, you know, working against you. And I'm not trying to, you know, spoke up, speak up the boogeyman, but you have to be careful depending on these government resources because they can come back and bite you. Okay. And black people who are in business should understand that if something given to you with a debt note, you should be ready to pay it or it may come with consequences. Wow. We will return to our conversation with Julius Tillery, a fifth generation farmer from North Carolina, after we take a 90 second break 
for this Black History Mini Doc. Some call him the first black power broker. Many disagree, but none can argue his contributions to the lives of thousands of freed slaves. As a young boy, his mother taught him how to read and write while working in the coal mines with his stepfather. After graduating from college, Booker T was tapped to run the Tuskegee Institute. Under Booker T. Washington's leadership, Tuskegee became a leading school in the country. By the early 1900s, the Institute was responsible for graduating thousands of ex-slaves who were eager to enter the new industrial age. His famous Atlanta Compromise speech focused on blacks accepting social segregation. The great W.E.B. Du Bois saw Booker T. as a traitor and was angry at him for not demanding equal rights. History would prove that they were both right. His autobiography, Up From Slavery, brought him both acclaim and indignation. Many whites were upset about his close relationship with President Roosevelt. Booker T. was an inspiring leader who walked to the beat of his own drum, broke down barriers as he saw fit, and educated thousands of blacks with practical skills. How can young or black people who are not farmers um, support black farmers? What, what ways do you think that they can do that at this point? You know, definitely look up the black pharmacists near the community support. If you got a black, a black farmer's market in your area or, you know, you know, some farmers that uh, that go to farmer's markets, support them, you know, yeah. follow, you know, even if you can't buy from them, find them online, like on their social medias and like their stuff. I tell people all the time, you know, a like can lead to some sales, you know, so and that's, you know, free marketing. Yeah. You know, like a, a farm buddy was asking me, what should I do to market my products? I was like, have you tried Facebook or Instagram? You know, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? True. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's guaranteed to work, but that's a start. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's opportunity. So putting yourself out there and connecting, you know, networking. That's what mm -hmm. that's really good. So if you want to help a black farmer, you know, just network with them. You know, find some online, and, you know, support the causes. You know, there's a lot of black food groups like National Black Food Justice Alliance. Look them up like Dara Cooper. She's a wonderful person to uh, look up and she supports a lot of black food, mm, black food people, black farmers. So I a lot of these saw, people did. Saw her. Just yeah. find them and That's try great. to support. Like if you go to my website, I mean, if you go to my Instagram at, at blackcon.us, Look at look on my uh, look at the people that I post. Look at the posts I post, and connect to some of these people. You know what I'm saying? That's a way you connect. You know, just look at who they post and who they work with, and connect with them. Thank you. I was going to ask more about your details. Um, what information do you want listeners to know about your business, about how to connect with you, and how to support you? Well, I, I like to stay in the present. And one of the big developments I have that's coming up, and it hasn't happened yet, but my clothes made from my cotton is about to happen this year. Amazing. I made a powerful partnership. I don't even know if I'm supposed to tell it yet. But uh, basically, um, <laughs> we made a I made a powerful uh, partnership with a, a big shoe brand. And uh, we worked together to, uh, create, um, to create this clothing. The name of it is going to be Black Acres. 
Um, it's named after my son. My son' name is Acre, and it's a shout out to all the black farmers that's you know working all their acres and putting they all in. So you know, um, it's gonna be called Black Acres. I, I can't wait till y'all know who I'm partnering with with this. It, it gets so soon. I don't need to spoil the secret, but just know that the clothes is made from my cotton. This has been something I've been working for since the beginning, and the the whole from seed to shirt. It's so expensive and it's, it's more than even expensive. It's resource expensive. You know what I'm saying? And being able for people to open doors for you to say, yeah, we'll work with you. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's more than just spending money on it, which is a lot of money. Like if you want to go from seed to shirt, you need to already be raising cotton. And that's not no easy feat. Like typically, if you're not coming from a cotton farmer, like if you're not from a multi-generational cotton farm enterprise, you're not going to be in cotton. It's too expensive. But yeah. if you are in cotton, even if you are in cotton, to take your cotton, which most people who are in cotton are part of co-ops, but to take have your independent co uh, your independent cotton turn into shirt into clothing, you're going to spend at least a hundred thousand dollars. It's going to be at least six figures. Yeah. So this is not no easy feat. And and from the beginning, I said my cotton was, spe- was special. Black cotton is special. I wanted to get our cotton turned into clothing. And it literally took me six years to make it happen, but it's wow. coming out this year. So That's I'm amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I have I some guesses as to who the, who the brand is, but I won't say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you off, Pam. Okay. <laughs> um, mm. And I'm curious to... Uh, with your with everything that you're up to, can you tell people about uh, like where to find you online as well, and you know even between uh, Black Acres and you know everything else going on? Definitely my Instagram um, at blackcotton.us. If you go to my Instagram, you'll see a lot of connectivity who we post, with, especially in the history. I haven't posted a lot in the last year because we, we we struck that deal and I've been trying to stay low key until this close drop. This is, I believe it's going to be October 1st, but it may be before then. But uh, sometime soon, these clothes are going to come out and it's going to be very special because it's made from our cotton. That's amazing. I'm very excited about that. Um, support listeners, please support Black Acres once it comes out. Absolutely. All about it. Um, absolutely yeah i'm really focused about this because like i was telling you about this cotton this farming thing i can't put the promise on my son that he's gonna want to be a a farmer like myself but if i can do something with our farm right now to 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 build the brand up that you know he won't have so much pressure to make to make these margins but to maybe maintain the business that we've that i created for him maybe we can keep this farming thing going another couple of generations. You know what I'm saying? I just want to be able to do something that makes it easier for him because my dad and I, we put a lot of sacrifice into this. You know what I'm saying? My yeah. grandfather too, you know, only time he left the farm was for World War II and he died yeah. in 2017. So I'm so glad that he saw what I, what I began with this business. He knew where I was going with it. You know what I'm saying? He, yeah. he saw what I was doing with the home decor. He saw all the people that was coming in that wanted to tour the farm. And I think he was ready. He knew that, you know, I was going to do my part. And, you know, I'm glad. I got a son now. I want to do my part as much as I can to make it easier for him. Maybe he's sliding into something really special, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious as to, was it a purposeful decision to go into economics and entrepreneurship? Mm-hmm. It was. It was okay. purposeful. Okay. Um, I'm from a very poor area and rural economic development is something that I've always cared about. 
you know, like trying to build up our community. And I feel like businesses is, you know, something that's lacking in this area. So, to, you know, to be an entrepreneur, to try to create opportunities for my people in my community has always been important for me. Amazing. Anything else that you want listeners to know before we wrap up? Um, we're a real black business. You know, there's some black businesses that work with distributors and they basically put their names and faces on front, but they really don't do the work. Man, we, we create our product. We handle our product. We hire black people in our community to work with us. We do not have no uh, group of Mexicans that's doing our work for us. We got black people doing this stuff with us. You know what I'm saying? I do everything with my uh, with the people that work with me. I don't feel like I got people who just work for me. I work along with them. We're a team and like we're a family together. Like this black cotton business has supported so many young people. You know, like all my my friends that I grew up with that's in my community, they got kids. We, you know, I, I think our business probably supported more than 25, 30 kids. You know what I mean? Wow. You know, helping kids get to school, you know, and, and not even just what we can provide for kids, but the, the opportunities that we give them through working with us. You know, we had an internship program where young people work along with us, learning how to, to harvest products, how to create products, uh, package them, ship them, and even sell them at vendor opportunities. So it's been great. And to see the growth of our young people that that work along with us, it's been fantastic. You know, and I feel like, you know, what I'm doing, I hope that other people can see I should create a business or well, me and my, my friends, we can create businesses to help train our young people on the future because we can't just depend on you know, these big corporations to give us these jobs for the future. Like, I think we're part of the first generation that supposedly lifestyles are supposed to be under our parents. You know, like, we, we're going to make less money than our parents. Mm-hmm. Only way we're going to be able to get to where we want is by creating our own opportunities as a whole. Now, that's plenty of black folks that that's do well and get paid well. But as a community, all together, we have to create more opportunities within ourselves and support ourselves more to better our community. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. I think this conversation was very empowering and it's beautiful, the work that you're doing with Black Cotton um, in your community, helping other farmers and the Black community as a whole. So congratulations for all of your work and for this new partnership coming up. People, check out Black Acres when it comes out. Black Acres, right? With an S? With an S, yep. All right, great. Um, please make sure you visit Black History Mini Docs podcast at blackhistoryminidocs.com. And don't forget to check out BHMD's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages for our daily historical post, mini docs, and more. See you next time on Black History Mini Docs podcast. One, three, two, Black History Mini Docs podcast. Black History Mini Docs.